You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. Take your copy of God's Word and go with me now to the 26th chapter of Genesis. Um, Unusual chapter. We just came out of an unusual chapter. Chapter 25 of Genesis is so important to the rest of Scripture. Uh, We spent three different Wednesday nights in that in that uh, chapter. And now you come to chapter 26. Douglas MacArthur, of course, was one of America's greatest generals, um, led the Pacific in World War II, uh, was the five-star general uh, in the Pacific, uh, defeated um, the Japanese there, went and, of course, you know the history there, took the surrender of the Japanese emperor, uh, Truman made him supreme allied commander uh, of, uh, of Japan and basically made him the dictator in rebuilding uh, all of Japan. Uh, I'm, I'm going to give you an illustration about that Sunday morning. It's kind of interesting. Uh, unusual guy, neat guy, a Christian, committed, committed Christian, um, a soldier, but he was an outstanding father and in fact was given an award for being such an outstanding father. I want you to listen to what he said uh, when he received this award. Nothing has touched me more deeply than this honor given to me by the National Father's Day Committee. By profession, I'm a soldier and take great pride in that fact, but I am prouder, infinitely prouder to be a father. A soldier destroys in order to build. The father only builds, never destroys. The one has potentialities of death and the other embodies creation and life. And while the hordes of death are mighty, the battalions of life are mightier still. It is my hope that my son, when I'm gone, will remember me not from the battle, but me in the home. Um, I, I just love MacArthur, but... Um, what a neat thing. What an amazing thing. When you come to the 26th chapter of Genesis, you come to the influence of a father on a son. You're going to see that in Isaac, and you're going to see Isaac's influence on his sons. And so the whole chapter deals with Isaac. It's the only chapter in all of Scripture that, that deals just with Isaac. He gets one chapter, the son of promise, the son of promise. And um, in this chapter, what you're going to see is you're going to see how some of what Abraham did impacted this boy. Now, I I realize that, you know, we don't generally have too many young dads in here, but um, we need to all hear this. This is what this chapter is really dealing with and then how he is going to impact his two sons. You say, well, all my kids are grown. Well, listen, all of mine are grown. I had three grandkids up here in this. So um, we need to take note of this so we can, if you've got grandkids, this is important too. This is what you do when you go through Scripture and you take a book and you go through it chapter by chapter and verse by verse. You deal with things you wouldn't normally deal with. So you're going to see really tonight uh, the impact of a father on his son and the impact of that son on his sons, on the, the grandfather's grandsons. 
Isaac lived to be 180 years of age, uh, lived a little longer than Abraham did, uh, and yet uh, his life was, honestly, it was lackluster. His faith was not anything outstanding at all, not anything to say, here is who you want to follow. You don't necessarily want to follow Isaac in his faith. Now, I'm going to end up with Isaac in a good place. Uh, but he's not a guy that you point to and say, oh, when you think of faithful people, I'm thinking of Isaac. Well, no, you may think of his dad. In fact, I really love what the great old English, great British commentator says about Isaac. Um, He was the son of an extraordinary father and the ordinary father of an extraordinary son. That sums up Isaac pretty well. But I want to show you two things in this chapter. So we come to chapter 26, and I want you to look at something tonight. I want you to see this. I want you to see the establishment of an unhealthy pattern uh, in a home. Now, you're going to get to the last two verses of this chapter. Don't look at it. Don't, don't, Don't look at it. I'm going to get you there. But the last two verses almost become a teaser for what's going to happen in the next chapter. Now, the next chapter you're very familiar with. It is um, Jacob who uh, gets the birthright from his older brother. We'll get there next week, Lord willing. Uh, But the last two verses of this chapter really kind of set it up, and it shows you the unhealthy pattern that is set up in a home. There can be an unhealthy pattern set up even by a good dad. So just kind of look with me as we start reading verse 1, chapter 26. Now, there was a famine in the land. Now, you can stop with that because you can look back to chapter 12 of Genesis, and you're going to read the same thing in verse 10. Now, there was a famine in the land. Now, that was when Abraham first got into the land, and Abraham gets in the land. He's followed God to this land, but his faith falters. There's a famine there, and instead of trusting God, he goes down into Egypt. Now, you know that. Well, now watch this. Verse 1, chapter 26, there's a famine in the land. Besides the previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham. That's the one I just read you back in chapter 12. So Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. Uh, That's not Egypt, but he's headed down that way. He's going down that way. Now, you remember, we've talked about it a half a dozen times. Uh, The famine comes. Abraham doesn't trust God. He goes down into Egypt. He gets down into Egypt. He looks at his wife, Sarah, and he says, hey, you're such a good-looking woman. They're going to kill me to get to you, so you tell them you're not my wife. You just tell them you're my sister. You know the story. You know all that happens there. Well, that's exactly what's going to happen again. Now, listen, Isaac wasn't even born yet, but he has heard this story. I am certain of it. He knows this story. He knows what's going to take place, or or he knew what took place. And in that, there was an unhealthy pattern that was set up. Uh, You get to the, I think it's the 19th chapter of Genesis, and Abraham is going to do it all over again in the same place, in Gerar, with the same king, Abimelech. 
So you've got this unhealthy pattern that is set up by a lack of trusting God on the father's part, on the husband's part, on the daddy's part. So here's Abraham, and he sets up this unhealthy pattern. He's a friend of God. He's the father of all the faithful. He's going to recover from it. But let me tell you something. What we do in our homes has an impact on the next generation. That's hard to amen. Okay. So the Lord appeared to him, verse 2. And he said to him, don't you go down to Egypt. He stops him right there. Don't you do this. I know what you're doing. You're headed down that way. Don't you go down to Egypt. You stay in the land of which I tell you. Now, God comes, and he doesn't just come with a prohibition, and he tells you this is what you can't do, and this is what you'd better not do. Listen, let me tell you, when he comes like that, he always comes with a positive as well. He always comes with a good word of blessing. So he tells him, beginning in verse 3, look at this. You sojourn in the land. You stay here. You be obedient. You do what I've told you to do. And watch it, what I'm going to do. He gives him a sevenfold promise right here. Number one, I will be with you. Number two, I will bless you. Number three, for to you and to your descendants, I will give all these lands. Number four, I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. What I swore to him, I'm going to establish it with you. What I told him I would do with him, I'm going to do it with you. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. I will give your descendants all these lands. And by your descendants, all the nations, those are seven promises right there God gives him. By your descendants, all the earth shall be blessed. That's a lot of what God had already said now to Abraham, his father, but he comes now to him in the midst of his shallow faith, in the midst of his half-hearted obedience, in the midst of his waffling faith. God comes to him and he says, don't go to Egypt, but now listen. It's not just this prohibition that I'm giving you. I'm going to give you a, I'm going to give you a positive word here and he gives him this sevenfold promise of blessing on his life. Now the amazing thing to me is this is verse 5. I think out of this whole chapter, verse 5 probably amazes me as much as anything else. Now I want you to think about this. This is God talking to Isaac about Isaac's dad. He says, Isaac, listen, I remember your dad. I know your dad. Uh, your dad, now watch this. He says, because Abraham obeyed me, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, my laws. Now, you know what? If I were writing the story, I almost think I would say, if, if I were writing this and, um, and, and I were God, I think I'd almost say, um, Isaac, your daddy pulled this same stunt. And I want to tell you something, buddy. You'd better not do it. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Let me tell you, I saw him go. Now, he got out of my will. He stepped out of my will. But listen, that's not what's said here, is it? Look at what is said. Listen to this. He comes to him and he says, Abraham, he says, your daddy obeyed me. He kept my charge. No, he didn't. 
He broke it at least twice that I can think of right off the top of my head. He kept my commandments. He kept my statutes. He kept my laws. But do you know the amazing thing is that when God forgives you, he never throws your past sin back up to you. That's a good word. Y'all just sit there if you want to. That's a good word. He never throws your past sin back up to you. He never talks down about you to anybody else. Would to God we'd learn this in the church. That when we talk about each other, it would always be a good word, a positive word, an uplifting word. That whenever we talk about one another, it would always be something that is God-honoring and Christ-honoring. Here is God setting a standard showing us how we should talk about one another. Not in criticism, not in cynicism, not sarcastically, but look at this. He comes and he says, your father obeyed me. He kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, my laws. Let me take you to a verse that I read early this morning and just my personal reading time, personal devotional time, Psalm 119. I don't know why I stay in the Psalms all the time, but in Psalm 119, 133, here's a great verse. Establish my footsteps in your word and do not let any iniquity have dominion over me. What a word. Now, that's what he's saying right here basically is this. If you'll let me order your footsteps, if you let me do that, sin won't have dominion over you. Sin won't get a hold of you and run your life and rule your life. Now, you've got to watch this. Now, God's just spoken to it. Would that be enough if God showed up in your bedroom tonight about 3 o'clock in the morning, woke you up and said, hey, This is what I'm telling you not to do, and this is what I'm telling you to do. Here's the blessing. This is going to be the blessing I'm going to give you. I think that would kind of do it for me, don't don't you? I don't don't know that I'd ever get over that. But now look at verse 6. This starts a whole new section. So Isaac lived in Gerar. That's the same place where his father took Sarah the second time and lied about her. Now watch his sin here. When the men of the place asked about his wife, um, he said, she's my sister. For he was afraid to say, my wife thinking the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca, for she's me. These guys must have just had some just absolutely gorgeous, good-looking wives. And so he says, listen, here's his sin right here. It's a lack of trusting God. It's a half-hearted obedience. It's a lack of faith in trusting the God who had just spoken to him and told him, listen to what he said, I will be with you. And so he gets down there and he lies. And he doesn't just lie the once. Verse 8 says this, it came about when he had been there a long time. Now, I I don't want anybody to raise their hand or anybody to stand up and start confessing sin, but have you ever lied and tried to keep that lie for a long time? Have you ever discovered, now listen, we all have, so just just everybody just say, yes, we have. Listen, you know what you have to do? You have to constantly deconstruct everything and then reconstruct everything around that lie. And you have to keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it You have to keep propping a lie up. I don't know why it is. It's just the nature of a lie. You have to keep propping a lie back up. You have to just keep putting it back up, putting it back, and guarding all around that thing. 
Well, he's been there a long time. He's had to live this lie out for a long time. And we, we read this. <laughs> it's going to catch up with you at some point. Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, looked out through a window. Now, I can just imagine this guy's walking through his palace. He walks by a window. He sees something, and he stops, and he backs up, and he looks back out of it, and he sees Isaac down there kissing on Rebekah. And I can imagine immediately he thinks, that boy, that's not his sister, that's his wife. That's exactly what his daddy did. That's exactly what his daddy did. I had the same issue with his dad. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, behold, she's your wife. Now this guy's a pagan. How many relationships outside of his marriage do you think he's had? But now listen, he knows that Isaac is a God-fearer. He knows that Isaac is a follower of Jehovah. So he calls and he says, certainly this is your wife. Why did you tell me she's my sister? And Isaac said, because I said, I might die on account of her. That's the same thing your daddy said to me. And Abimelech said, what is this you've done to us? One of the people might have easily lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. Now, the tragedy in this is that the pagan idolatra has got more sense of morality than Isaac does. Isn't it an embarrassing thing? So Abimelech charged all the people. He calls all the people together. He calls his whole court together, and he says, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. That's the way he explains it to everybody. That's the way he tells it to everybody. This isn't his sister. This guy's been lying to us all this time. This is his wife, and you'd better not touch a hair of his head. Now, listen, let me tell you, part of that goes back to chapter 20 because Abraham later, after that event with Abraham and Abimelech, later Abimelech comes back to Abraham and he makes a covenant. Abraham and Abimelech make a covenant with, with one another. I'll get to that maybe in a, in a couple of minutes. But he, he's not going to touch him because he's already had a covenant with his father, Abraham, about how I'm not going to bother you, I'm not going to touch you, I'm not going to harm you, you promise not to harm me. So he says, don't you touch him. It, it has got to be the height of embarrassment for a man of God to be held up in front of pagan people and another pagan call him out on what he's been doing as sin. Gosh, how embarrassing would that be? You know, I got a call, um, I think it was, I don't think it was yesterday, maybe it was Monday, National Ministry, uh, the, the guy, head of the National Ministry, called me and said, can you put me in touch with so-and-so? I've got this, and I, I need somebody. I've got to change because the guy, and this was, this was a guy who's called a Christian celebrity. Listen. I pray to God we'd get away from Christian celebrities and just be Christians. Uh, we, don't, we don't need Christian celebrities. There are a lot of celebrities that need Jesus Christ. But we as Christians don't need to start going out seeking celebrity status. Now, okay, I got it off my chest. Anyway, this guy, in fact, that's how he was... That's how they spoke about him. They said, listen, he's, a, he's, he's, a, he's the closest thing to celebrity Christians have got. And I said, well, that's sad to begin with right there. 
Uh, and he says he is involved in all kind of immorality. And he says, we, we can't, can you get me in touch with this person so I can get them to come and fill in? Um, it, it's, in it's now up in front of the whole country what this guy has done. It, it's, it's, it's horrible. It's, it's, it's embarrassing. It's a shame. And that's exactly what Abimelech has to do with Isaac here. He puts him up in front of that whole pagan group and says, this guy's been lying. That's essentially what he says right there. And so you see this unhealthy pattern that's been set up. Um, It started with Abraham. And and listen, let me tell you, once we do some things, y'all, as much as we love God, as much as we might repent, the fact of the matter is it's been done. You can't unring that bell once it's been rung. Abraham started this whole thing, and um, now he's got a son that has followed him in that. Let me, uh, let me read to you something. James Dobson talks about this, about fathers and their sons. He says, boys watch their dads intently, noting every minor detail of behavior and values. Your sons will imitate much of what you do. If you blow up regularly and insult your wife, your boys will treat their mothers and other females disrespectfully. Do you know, I'll say this, I'll say this here. You know, I had to do this with both my boys. I had to, at different times, look at both of my sons and say to them, now let me tell you something, that's your mother. But I'm going to tell you beyond that, that's my wife, and I don't let anybody talk to my wife that way. I don't do it again. I remember that very clearly. You know why? Because my daddy told me that, but my daddy added a little something to it. He said, I brought you in the world, I'll take you out. So anyway, but anyway, that's that. He says, if your boys hear you do that, they'll treat their mothers and other females disrespectfully. If you drink the excess, your kids will be at risk for chemical substance abuse. If you curse or smoke or fight with your co-workers, your boys will probably follow suit. If you're a selfish or mean or angry, you'll see those characteristics displayed in the next generation. That is tough to hear. That's what you see in chapter 26 right there. It's a word to us to be wise. Now, let me give you something. Let me get off of that because that's, that's, that's a hard word. It's tough. Let me show you the encounter with God out of obedience. Now, watch it. what happens with Isaac here. This is pretty fascinating. Isaac sowed in the land. So he goes. Abimelech charged all the people saying, he who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Well, Isaac sows. It's interesting. Verse 12 starts a whole new section. Now, Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. That just doesn't happen, folks. That, that is so unusual. The only thing you can say there uh, about that is that's a miracle. To sow and reap a hundredfold in the same year just doesn't happen. That's the blessing of God. It's what God has already said to him. I'm going to bless you. Everything you do, I'm going to bless you. Now, did Isaac deserve it? No. Man, that's where you just want to get on shouting ground right there, is that God is so gracious and so merciful. Listen, he does not give us what we deserve. 
He didn't give Isaac what he deserved. He said, I'm going to be faithful to my word. I told you I would bless you. And so Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. And the man became, now watch how many times this is stated in this next verse. The man became rich. He continued to grow richer until he got very rich. You think the Holy Spirit's trying to tell you something there? God blessed him. God really blessed him. God just, God just showed up and showed out. He just really blessed him. For he had possessions of flocks and herds and a great household so that the Philistines envied him. Now, here comes the problem. He's still living there in the land of the Philistines. He's still there in Gerar. And they all see this, and I'm going to show you this in, in, in the end. Uh, they all see this, and let me tell you, in the back of their mind, they know exactly what's happening. Why in the world, why in the world is this guy, why does everything this guy touch turn to gold? Why in the world is everything this guy do just, you know, how in the world can you plant and reap a hundredfold in a year? How in the world do your herds and your flocks grow like that? How do you hit the stock market every cotton-picking time? How in the world does that happen? In the back of their mind, I'll show you this in a minute. In the back of their mind, they knew exactly what was happening. They knew it was his God. They knew God was doing this. And they got envious. They got mad. They got jealous. And all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, the Philistines stopped them up, filling them up with earth. They thought, we're going to undermine what's going on with him. We'll go, and listen, in that part of the world, that's kind of like back in the West, uh, back in the, you know, the 1800s here in the United States, uh, if you stole a man's horse, they just shot you. You a horse thief, you, no, we don't even need to try you. We just string you up. Because that was, the man, that was the only thing the man had. That was his livelihood. That was his transportation. That was everything. Well, when you went and you filled in somebody's well in the Middle East, in that desert land, let me tell you what you were doing. You were essentially condemning the guy to death. And so they went in and they started filling these wells up. These were wells that Abraham had dug. And it got so bad that Abimelech said to him, go away from us. You're too powerful. Now, let me explain that. What, 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 if you remember back when Lot was taken, um, when, the, when the five kings of the plain came through, Abraham had so many servants and so many herdsmen, he had an army. He had a, battalion, he had a division. And so he went after him and he defeated him. Well, that's the same thing is true right here. You just read where he's got all of these, these, uh, these servants or all of these men who keep his flocks and his herds and all of that. He's got a division. They know that. This guy's got men to fight for him. Uh, this man has an army. They're his own personal army. He's not king of anything, but he's got an army. And so Abimelech goes to him and says, listen, the best thing for you to do is get away from us. Go away from here. You're too powerful. We don't want any problem with you. We don't want any trouble with you, so just go away. Now watch it, what he does. Verse 17, Isaac departed from there, and he camped in the valley of Gerar, and he settled there. Now let me tell you what that is. That's the edge 
of pure paganism right there. Where he goes is he learned absolutely nothing from his cousin Lot, of whom the Bible says he pitched his tents towards Sodom. That's exactly what Isaac is doing right here. He has moved to the outskirts of Las Vegas. Or he has moved into an apartment at the end of Bourbon Street. He is right there on the edge of absolute rebellion and paganism. And he is the picture of so many people who know the Lord and who've trusted in the Lord, but they've come to the place in their lives where they walk the edge. Do you remember that old uh, Ford commercial? I think it came out. Didn't the edge come out in the, the mid-2000s, 2005, 2006, somewhere in there? You know what I'm talking about, the Ford Edge? The commercial would say, it's not a station wagon, it's not a truck, it's, it's on the edge. And do you remember that theme song? I want to ride on the edge, you know? That's where so many people in the church, honestly, that's where so many people in, in the church are today. They want to ride on the edge. I, I, back when we were dating, uh, Debbie was saved at Look Up Lodge. It was a camp that we used to go to every year. She was 16 years old. We were up there. They had a big uh, lake up there and canoes. And I went out one day to impress her what I could do in a canoe. And I, I stand, I've got one foot on the, on the dock, and I reach down and put one foot in the canoe, and this is what I start doing. This, I'm doing the split, and it's, going, it's bad. I impressed. I left an impression. Um, you know, you just start there. That's where most Christians are. They got one foot over here in the world and one foot over here in the church, and it's going out like this. And let me tell you, the results of it's not going to be good. So that's where he is. He's on the edge. Isaac dug again the wells of water which had been dug in the days of his father Abraham. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham, and he gave them the same names which his father had given them. And when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of flowing water, listen to this, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with the herdsmen of Isaac, saying, that water is ours. So he named the well Essek which means strife, or it means contention. Do you know what happens in the believer's life when you're constantly living on the edge of sin? You have nothing but strife. Listen, you may be hitting the jackpot financially. Your flocks may be increasing. Your herds may be increasing. You may be harvesting a great harvest. But let me tell you, what good is all that when there's strife? What good is if you had $10 million in the bank tonight and all you could do with your wife or your husband was constantly fuss? Nothing but strife. And so there's strife that's there. He's living on the edge. When a believer does that, there's strife. Look at verse 21. So they're going to go out and dig another. They quarrel over that too. So he names it Sitna. Do you know what that's the root of sitna? It's the root of the noun Satan. Opposed. Opposition. Adversary. Who is Satan? He's your adversary. He's the one who opposes you. 
He's the opposition. Now, that's what's being said there in that, in that word. That's what's being said in that text is that living on the edge brings not only strife, it brings opposition. Now, it's not just this external strife and opposition with these people from Gerar. It's internal. That's where the strife is. That's where the opposition is. Is he's got all this turmoil going on on the inside. Because, listen, you can't live with a foot in each world. You can't live, Christian, on the edge of, of, of rebellion against God, thinking that God's going to let you live there without anything going on in your life. So he gets enough strife and he gets enough opposition to watch now. Here's the good word. He begins to move. And he, as he moves, he moves away from there and he dug another well and they did not quarrel over it, so he named it Rehoboth. For he said, at last the Lord has made room for us. That's what Rehoboth means. It means a broad place. Now, when he names it Rehoboth, what he's saying is this. He's saying, no more strife. No more opposition. I'm no longer, the concept is I'm being squeezed, squeezed, squeezed. I'm being pressed. And now God's brought me to a place where I can go, I can breathe. It's a broad place. There's no strife. There's no squeezing. There's no pressing, you know, in this place because I've moved away from the edge. Now watch what he's doing. He's, move, he's moving back from the edge, and he's moving toward, watch this, guys. He's moving toward the place of worship. Courtney, he's not bothering me. I heard him. I thought he said Amen. He moved away from there, and he went up from there. Look at verse 23, to Beersheba. Now, that is a place where Abraham named. And it's a place where Abraham worshiped. In fact, just look back to, uh, I think it's chapter 20. No, it's chapter 21. Abimelech came down there to Abraham to make a covenant with him. And Abraham said, absolutely, I'll make a covenant. I'm not going to harm you. I'm not going to do anything with you. And he called the place, verse 31, Beersheba. It means the, the, the place of the oath is what it means. Because the two of them took an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. And Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of the army, arose and returned to the land. They got up and left. Why? Because Abraham started worshiping. And they couldn't handle the worship, so they got up and left, and Abraham planted a tamarisk tree there. The the Hebrew actually says he planted a grove of trees. What he did is he planted a grove of trees, and in the midst of that grove of trees, he had an altar, and that was the place he worked. He had shade out there in the desert, and there in that shade was a place of worship. He called on the name of the Lord. He called him Olam El, everlasting God. First time that name of God is ever used is right there. He calls on God, and he calls him the everlasting God right there. He says, God, you are everlasting, everlasting. No beginning, no end. He worships God, and that's the place 
where Isaac comes back to. He comes back to Beersheba, and look at what happens to him in Beersheba. Now, back in, verse, in, in chapter 26, verse 24, the Lord appeared to him the same night, and he said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear. You don't, I, I'm here to protect you. I'm here to guard you. I'm here to care for you. I've told you that all along. Do not fear. I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. He says, I'm doing all this because I promised this to your daddy Abraham, and I'm going to keep my promise. I am a, a promise-covenant-keeping God. And watch it what he does. So he built an altar there. He's going to start to worship now. Here's the guy whose faith was so half-hearted, half-hearted obedience, such a fickle faith, such a, a, a marginalized faith. Now he comes, he builds an altar there. That's what his father did. He called on the name of the Lord. That's what his father, he pitched his tent there. That's a decision that he's made. And he digs a well that's permanence. He's saying, I'm going to live in the place of worship. Now, that's the decision. I thank, I thank the Lord for that because I have a real tough time with Isaac. I, I'm not a big Isaac fan, but I sure am thankful that he comes to this, to this point right here. Now, watch this. Let me show you, and I'll wrap it up with this. Abimelech comes to him from Gerar. He comes down there to him with, the, with his advisor and the commander of his army. And Isaac said to him, why have you come to me since you hate me and you sent me away from you? Why, you, why, why are you down here? Now watch that. I'm just going to read this. I told you that they knew what was happening in his life. Look at this. They said, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. Now do you see that? Let me show you this and I'm done. Do you see that? The Lord has been with you. Look up at verse 24. What does the Lord say there? I am with you. Look back to verse 3 of this chapter. What does the Lord say there? I will be with you. You got all three tenses right there. He has been with you. He is with you. He will be with you. Past tense, present tense, future tense. That's the kind of God he is. Father, thank you for being that kind of God to us. We no more deserve it than Isaac did or anyone else. Our faith, Father, so often is so up and down. We're out on the edge of sin, in strife, in opposition. And then, Lord, we find ourselves in the place of worship. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for vacillating. Forgive us for being so capricious. Forgive us for being up and down and in and out and on and off. But we thank you, Lord, that you're never that way, but that you are always faithful. We, we praise you for that, and we're thankful for that. We, Lord, are frail, and I thank you so much that you know our frame.
that we're but dust. And that in the midst of our frailty, you still love us and you keep your promise to us and you will not fail us and you will not forsake us. And for that tonight and for the rest of life, we say to your name, O Lord, to your name, be glory. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at Valleydale.